Greetings, greenhouse people, and welcome to another installment of Tech on Demand, where our goal is always to bring you tips, tricks, and information to produce your best crop ever. I'm your host, Bill Calkins, and I'm joined once again for the third time by returning guest Bryce Anderson, the sales manager for the HC companies. He's back to tie a bow on our three-part mini-series of conversations. He's a 28-year industry vet with experience in a wide range of roles from production and distribution to retail and even manufacturing. He also brings experience in sales and operation management and is always happy to dig deep into water, media, nutrition management, and overall crop quality. Our first two conversations covered pricing and differentiation at the grower level, and this time we're going to take it a step further into some action-oriented tactics. Why sustainable growing solutions have far-reaching payoffs. This is going to be a good way to wrap up the series, taking us from a somewhat esoteric topic of pricing to the more actionable strategy of differentiating products and businesses, and finally to a clear way to stand out. So let's get into it. Bryce, welcome to the podcast. Oh, hey, Bill. Thanks for having me again. Good to be here. Awesome. So 2020 was an unprecedented year in so many different ways, way too many to cover today on a podcast. But to start us off on today's topic, why don't you talk a little bit about why you feel sustainable products are potentially more important now than ever, given current and shifting consumer wants and needs? Or maybe another way to say it is, why is this topic so important? And I'm also interested as we get started on what you mean when you talk about sustainable products, because I know that's kind of a, a, a overarching term that can cover a lot of different things. You know, sustainable products to me uh, really represent any product available to consumers, uh, factories, growers in all industries that support and preserve the integrity of the planet, you know, betterment of the planet and, and uh, stopping the waste that, that we're putting into the planet that's going to stick around for a long time. Um, you know, I, I think it, where our industry is, it, it really comes down to plastic or no plastic. And uh, I think plastic is one of the uh, largest waste uh, pieces that our industry, you know, whether it be greenhouse poly or plastic pots or tags or whatever. So anything that we can do to support preserving the planet and bettering the planet, I think is going to be, you know, benefit, you know, the perception of our organizations as well as, you know, cater to some of the specifically younger generations, you know, coming up and and getting involved in horticulture and gardening. For sure. Do you think uh, mindsets in terms of the consumers or users of our products, do you think those are shifting or have recently shifted to make these kind of products that you talked about more desirable? Um, I recently read a report just on the messaging that we use about, you know, reduced pesticide use on products and how, you know, that, that bee friendly messaging is really important. But when you talk about the plastic, do you think that there is a, a, a mindset shift or a shift in consumer demand when it comes to more uh, responsible products? You know, a story that I'll share with you, I've got a 23-year-old daughter, and I've been deeply involved in the development and launch of HC's EcoGrow product line, which is our version of an organic and natural uh, sustainable growing solution. It's an alternative to plastic. And I've, I've got the, the samples on my desk, and we've, we've put a lot of effort into creating a product line that is automation-friendly. Uh, works in an existing trays. It's compatible with flat fillers and such. My daughter walks in my office and she goes, what do you got there? And I, 
told her about it and she's like, I'd buy that one. Bye dad. And I think it's just kind of the mindset of the younger generations is wanting to eat clean, to be clean and to support green. Totally agree. And I, I watch my kids, you know, scowl at grandma and grandpa when they use a straw at a restaurant. Um, you know, I, I think that it's, it's just become part of pe how people live their lives these days. I mean, it used to be, you know, oh, it was a whole different, you know, oh, I got to take something to a recycling bin. Now it's just second nature. And, and I, I tend to agree. So that's thinking about it from that consumer perspective. So your daughter's 23, pretty representative of that market that we're all trying to, to appeal to these days. What about from the, the greenhouse professional side? Like, you know, our, what's, what's the appetite for these kind of products look like from a, from a production standpoint or from um, the greenhouse folks? The, one of the things that makes sustainable alternatives a challenge on a large scale is number one, it's automation. It's production efficiency. Um, it's optimizing available uh, human resources, labor. And if a product, whether it be a fertilizer, a soil or a container or whatever, if it creates an element of complexity to an existing system that works or it inhibits the, the improvement of a current processor system, it's, it's very difficult to go full scale with it because efficiency and automation are, are probably two of the most important components to profitability and greenhouse production today, you know, and as well as at the retail level. So it's very carefully selecting, trialing, and, and putting a lot of deliberate thought into the selection and trialing of products before you can go full scale. And when in you know, when companies like HC are paying attention to that and, and understanding that that pain point um, and coming out with the products that, you know, can be automated, are friendly to current greenhouse flows uh, situations, do you think that, I mean, have you found that that growers are, are more receptive or is, you know, have you seen a, a, a an appetite shift over the last few years when it comes to being a little bit more willing to accept these these sort of eco-friendly alternatives? I, I think there's more demand today than there was a year ago and what there definitely what there was five years ago. I think the demand and interest today is exponentially greater than five years ago. Um, and I think that is a is a result of the consumer interest. Um, it, it used to be, I mean, if we think about consumer goods, you know, it, you, you go to the store, you, you go to, uh, you know, Target or you go to, you know, the grocery store, it, there used to be a small section of available organic produce. Um, you see these sections becoming larger. So the displays are larger. There's more assortment. It used to be that there would be, you know, a bell pepper. Now they have all the bell peppers and organic and they have as many organic bell peppers as they do non-organic bell peppers. Um, cleaning products is another area, paper towels, napkins, paper plates. Uh, all these selections continue to get larger and take up more shelf space. So there's more people exposed to it. Um, it the thing that's interesting with horticulture to me is I know full and well that when I purchase an organic 
paper towel or if I, or a, or a natural paper towel or an organic vegetable, I'm paying for an organic product or a natural product. I could probably save not a, not a couple pennies, but a pretty substantial amount of money buying the run of the mill general product. But, you know, for example, my family, we drink milk and you've got the half gallon in the plastic jug that I'm going to say probably runs about a dollar seventy nine dollar eighty nine, and then we've got the organic milk that comes in the cardboard carton that costs three twenty nine. Mm-hmm. We buy the organic milk not because it's organic, but because it's in a paper carton. Okay. So I th- I think the mindset shifted a little bit, and there's more appeal to the organic products. No, I think that makes a lot of sense. And when you when you think about it, you know consumers buying our products, or even you know professional landscapers using the products. Um, you know, I, I used to think kind of naively, well, it's, you know, it, it's a petunia, it looks organic. It's a, it's a living plant, you know, it's, mm-hmm. you know, the, the container it's in was almost secondary, but you know, you do this a few years, you know, you start your garden and a few years later, you've got piles of plastic in your garage, not always going to get recycled. Um, it, it's a pretty, it's a pretty visible thing. So I, I, I tend to agree that, it's, it's that waste stream that that's going to catch a lot of attention. Um, certainly more so now than, than ever before. And you mentioned the, the cost and, you know, there are certain products that, that my family and I also buy and know we're going to pay a little bit more for um, because of whether it's the packaging or, you know, it's just a much more eco-friendly, you know, cleaning spray or something like that. Cost is always part of this discussion. And I remember certainly what well, you said five years, I 15 years ago, I was, I was working on the circle of life project at ball, which included rice hall pots and other sustainable production requirements. And it was, it was a challenging discussion to have with growers because of the cost. And, you know, that was 15 years ago. And even then some, some got it and some didn't, and, and that was fine. But talk a little bit about kind of the real scoop on the cost impacts of sustainable products, because I think that, that that's a pretty key part of this discussion. I, th- I think the, one of the biggest misinterpretations across all consumer goods is the difference between sustainable or green or natural and organic. Mm. Um, organic is a, is a totally separate designation that, uh, that, basically represents a specific way of producing or growing. It's a certification. It's a certification. You have to be organic certified. So I, I think that when we talk sustainable, like our EcoGrow line at HC, we have a, we have a standard EcoGrow, which is for all intents and purposes, the same as the organic version of EcoGrow, except our organic EcoGrow is uh, certified organic because we don't use newspaper that has colored ink on it. It's okay. colored ink is not allowed. It's more expensive to source um, raw materials for organic EcoGrow because we're limiting what our, you know, the, the pool of materials we can pull from by eliminating colored ink. So there's a cost that comes with organic. Um, but I think the, the, the thing with pricing and costing of, of natural and sustainable and organic products is, is that it's generally always going to be more. We see the prices as being more in the grocery store and in the, in, in, you know, at a, at a, whatever retailer sells those products. And I think that the challenge is embracing the opportunity 
to price accordingly. Um, you know, feedback that I've gotten is that um, I, you know, I'm, I'd like to use these pots, but I can't use them because they cost more because I sell my vegetables for this much. Mm-hmm. Um, why not raise the price of the vegetables accordingly? Uh, you know, we talked about, you know, pricing. Are, are we getting the, are we harvesting the value of the, of the crops and the products that we produce and that we sell? Um, I think retailers have a little bit more of a distinct advantage when it comes to price because they're mm-hmm. usually markup based mm-hmm. or they're going to go double 1.5 to 2.5 or whatnot. So, hey, my cost is a dollar. It's 250. So they're a bit of an advantage over a grower. But growers could use a sustainable product like an EcoGrow pot or some of the other wonderful alternatives that are on the market as an opportunity to raise price. Because now we're not differentiating. Yeah. Different. I mean, it fits right and, into our previous two conversations. I yeah. Think. Yeah. And it, it, but it's challenging. You know, we go back to the challenges where, where we have a short window in our, in our, in our industry where it's, it's really eight to 12 weeks and it's over. I think we talked about this yep. last time. Yep. And if you don't move something, then you're at risk of missing out on a turn or you've mm-hmm. got increasing your shrink. So start small. You know, I've, I've got growers that wanted to do all their vegetables uh, in a sustainable product. They did end up using our EcoGrow and it's like, okay, well, let's do all your heirloom tomatoes in it. They've now transitioned to doing all of their vegetables in EcoGrow and they're able to command a dollar uh, per pot difference at the retail level because it's in a sustainable product. And it's like, it differentiates it for their, their checkers. It also differentiates it with their customers that it's perceived as more of a premium line and they're able to harvest the value. I like that idea of carving out a, a, a subset of your product mix, trying that in a sustainable package and charging for it. That, that makes a lot of sense. So, so when you talk about these types of sustainable products and, and even growing processes, it seems to me that they're new and that that really should be the way that, that we talk about them with wholesale customers is, you know, not just another you know, another package around the same product. It's actually a new product discussion. And that I think requires a little bit of a mindset shift. Um, do you have any thoughts or experiences with growers who've tried that or, or how would you go about having that new product discussion? It, it's really less of a replacement or alternative to a current product being used and more about positioning a new product. You're spot on. It, it brings the, the opportunity to do several things. Um, I think we're at a, a critical turning point, a generational turning point in our industry where we have, a, have an opportunity to engage and capture the interest and maintain the interest of some of the younger shoppers and the, and the younger generations who, are, who seem to have collectively more, they place more importance on preserving the planet. And I'm not saying our generations or the generations before us don't care. I just think the focus is, a, it's a little bit different. Um, pricing is such a sensitive topic in our industry too. And, you know, if, if we look at it as a new product, it, it provides us with an opportunity to provide a new pricing structure. Mm. It does have a new costing structure, but it's a new product. You know, this isn't our four inch annual or our three inch vegetable. This is our new natural four inch or three inch. And you can position that to your customers as a brand new category. Um, it, it, it really takes away replacement and it, and it provides such a, 
a unique opportunity from a differentiation standpoint too, because um, it is somewhat still new, even though it's not. So not everybody's doing it. And if, if you're in a, in a region where there's a lot of growers or retailers offering a similar product mix, you can really allow yourself to stand out and differentiate yourselves from the from your competitors, if you will. No, I, I totally agree. And the product tends to look different on the retail shelf. It is visibly different when it's in a, a, a earth-friendly or, or even an organic package. I think um, talking about it as a new product just gives an opportunity. And every customer asks what's new, and now you're going to have something to talk about next season when you go in to have that discussion with your wholesale customers. So what, what makes what makes it uncomfortable for many, Bill, is, you know, I, when I was a grower, we used to do, you know, all of our vine crops and cucurbits in um, peat pots, mm-hmm. you know, for a couple of reasons, because, you know, we wanted to sell them young and we wanted the person to be able to take them home when they weren't fully rooted out and go ahead and just drop the whole pot and everything in the soil and, and be off with it. Because, uh, you know, having been in the, the uh, greenhouse background yourself, you know, when those things sit in a pot too long, it's a tangled mess on the bench. So we wanted to move them fast. Uh, they were not an ideal solution, large scale, um, largely because there were no trays or whatnot, but it was a great solution for the application. And there's still a great solution for the application and many other applications today. People look at a sustainable product, whether it be a fertilizer or a pesticide or a pot, um, in the case of the pot, you're replacing a plastic pot that you know it grows a certain way. You know that it performs a certain way. And you've got to do it differently mm-hmm. when you change the type of container. Um, in some ways, it's better. In other ways, it's it's different and requires a little bit of prevention tactics to make sure that you're you're optimizing the performance of the product. But the cool thing about uh, North American growers, as opposed to the Netherlands and, and, and in Europe, we're so good at growing a diverse uh, crop. You know, we've got hundreds of varieties. Mm-hmm. So we almost have all these micro crops that we're PGRing different, we're fertilizing different, we're growing different, we're watering different. Um, you know, some growers might have five different sizes of containers. Every one of those sizes needs to be irrigated and fertilized differently. Oh, and by the way, the 50 varieties in each of those sizes sometimes right. need to be irrigated and, and handled a different way. It's an, we are ideally suited to adapt to the change and the different cultural approaches that need to be taken with a sustainable product. I, I, I like the way you, you put that because um, you're right. Every crop is just about treated differently. Um, we know that we're set up to, to handle that kind of uh, scenario. Growers are trained that way and are very diverse in the crops that they can grow, which would allow them to, you know, the learning curve is going to be a lot less steep when you have uh, a change in, in the products you're growing in. I think that's a, that's a really good point. It's kind of the, the blessing and the curse, but it's a ble- certainly a blessing in this, in this yeah. regard. It's kind of like the, you know, I've done a lot of trials, you know, with lots of different products over the years. And it, it, if I do a, if I've done a soil trial and I'm, trialing a peat-based media next to a bark-based media, I have to treat them independently. If I treat them the same, one crop will fail. Um, The same thing for, you know, trialing Marathon and Safari for aphids. Mm -hmm. One's going to fail. 
uh, fertilizer using a natural organic fertilizer next to a, a classic uh, Peters fertilizer. One's going to perform differently if you do them exactly the same. It's the same thing with a, a sustainable uh, container trial. If you don't treat them as each crop needs to be treated, one of them will fail. Sure. And it's, I think the, the growers tend to be really good with those kind of in intricacies, especially if they're willing to put the time in trialing mm -hmm. them or partner with a company like you guys, who's put the time in trialing them. Cause I know that you spend a lot of time trialing your products and you have a lot of information going in before, before you're shipping these into a, into a grower, you've gone over um, the nuances that, that they need to pay attention to with these crops. A lot of it's about feel-good words too for the consumer. I, I mm. think that we're a feel-good society. Um, it, it, you know, GMO-free. You know, what does that mean? Sure. Does everybody know what it means? Um, what about natural versus organic when you're going through the grocery store? I think uh, if I had to guess, I'd say the general public opinion is is that natural and organic are really kind of um, accepted as being the same when they're not. You know, one of them is a specific certified designation and the other one does not, mm -hmm. even though they may have some of the same similar practices involved in producing that good. Um, I think that, you know, in the plastics industry contains post-consumer recycled content or manufactured with recycled plastics, you know, that that's a good thing. That means we're putting less into the landfill and we're using more post-consumer or recycled, post-industrial recycled materials. You know, we've got uh, for our our fiber grow line and our uh, eco grow line, we've got, you know, FCS, FSC 100% recycled and USDA bio preferred status. So we're, we're putting in some of the work to, to make sure that we are doing everything that we can to positively impact the future of the planet and providing products that are going to pretty much say that they're going to do that. Yeah, I love it. And, there, and there's value there in the minds of consumers. There is absolutely value there that can be captured um, by, by you as a producer. So um, that's a really a, a great, I think, great way to, to wrap up what we're talking about. We have covered a lot in three episodes. I mean, we have talked for at least an hour and a half. We've covered a whole range of topics, uh, probably tons more that we could get into. And uh you're an insightful guy. So I, I imagine you have some final thoughts or maybe we missed something. Maybe we missed some, you know, uh, a great, great idea that you had. So I'm going to give you a second now to, you know, cover anything we might've missed or to reiterate a point. Um, and then uh, when you're done, maybe share, share ways that folks can reach out to you or learn more about what HC uh, companies has in terms of product lines. After last year's frenzy, of a season that we had that really carried into the fall and, you know, the expectation that it's going to be more of the same this year. And I mean, there's people already asking if vegetables are ready in the upper Midwest. It's crazy. Oh yeah. Um, you know, we've talked about pricing and, and, and harvesting the value and we've talked about differentiating and we've talked about maybe implementing some sustainable uh, categories into it. You know, I don't think it's too late. I think the season's going to go. This might be a great year to kind of test the waters because of the, you know, the expectation that the, the frenzy and the chaos uh, of the consumer interest this year is going to continue. Um, if there was ever a time to take a calculated risk, uh, this might be it. And we don't need to go big. Just uh, take baby steps and, 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 and try to try to move the, move the needle forward and, 
and try to look at, you know, some interesting ways that, you know, can set your side yourselves apart from, from the competition and other, other options in the area. I agree. It's, it's definitely not too late. We've got a few turns left this year and uh, maybe, maybe it is, it is the time to, to take a hard look at your pricing or uh, trying and uh, trialing some differentiators to, uh, to help stand apart and get your customer, your wholesale customers, uh, a little bit more familiar with some of these some of these products. Yeah, so, you can uh, check you can check out some of the products we've talked about uh, from HC at hc-companies.com, and I can be reached at b anderson at hc-companies.com. Um, I I love talking about anything. I'd, I'd love to talk about uh, the current IPM practices or, or soils or or anything, but certainly you know containers are kind of my my official my official. Uh, uh, expertise area of expertise right now. That's great. And I'll put those links in the show notes. Um, definitely reach out to Bryce, um, ha- have these conversations. If you have questions, uh, I'm sure he'd be more than happy to answer them. And uh, yeah, check out HC company's website There's really good information. Um, look at some past issues of grower talks where we have uh, dug into the trialing and testing and um, really had to have some really good data to share. I think that you know, HC is a, is a company that puts the, the, the time and effort in on the front end to make sure that the products that you're getting are those that fit into your production scheme. They work and um, certainly can help you differentiate. So as uh, a little bit of a plug for you guys, but it's definitely well, that, it's well deserved. It's well deserved. You give me a lot of your time too. So I really appreciate it. Um, it's been Bryce. a lot of fun. Hopefully we can do, we can do a few more of these. So let's, let's keep it going. Let's check in after the season and maybe see how things went for growers and, and see how the spring ended up. Oh, I'd love to do that. We definitely have to do that. Um, and maybe we'll just hit record and, and let folks here, here just hear our conversation. Sounds great. Awesome. Well, I am Bill Calkins with Tech on Demand, wishing you a fantastic season. Uh, It's coming. It's coming quick. And people are really, really excited to get out to the garden centers and start buying these products. Um, Definitely want to encourage you to think, think hard about differentiation and engage your entire team in the discussion. And be sure to subscribe to the Tech on Demand podcast on your favorite podcast app so you never miss an episode. We're on iTunes, Spotify, Google, Stitcher, and just about all the others. Take care out there.